Listener Production. Howdy, you are listening to episode 100 of the Howie Games Part B featuring Adam Scott. It is time to start getting to Augusta. Let's go. Let's talk about the Masters. And I, uh, I had the pleasure of doing this with you at the PGA tournament in Queensland in 2013 after you'd won it. And um, and you basically told the crowd you went through it stroke by stroke and I, I've never heard it. Well, mate, I've never heard it after dinner crowd is just um, in raptures by what you were talking about. All yeah. golfers like to kind of retell, you know, you, may, you say, so how'd you play today? Well, on the first, I hit it kind of in the right rough, you know. Is well, that what you meant? Well, let's do that with the Masters. Um, <laughs> and I know it's sometimes difficult when you're still in the midst of your career and obviously you started the season brilliantly with the win and and I'm sure there's so many more things to come, but if you can indulge me to talk through the Masters, before we get to some of the shots, what does it mean to you to be the first Australian ever to win at Augusta? And and that's in some ways, mate, why I wanted to take you through the journey of the British Open because for those that aren't into golf, I want them to understand how difficult a sport it is you play. So when you succeed, the first ever Australian, and you'd seen Greg so close, what does it mean to you now to forever have that piece of history? It's bloody brilliant, by the way. Yeah, thanks. It. It means a lot to me. I mean, it's kind of an asterisk next to being a Masters champion, which maybe every Masters champion has because they come from whatever circumstance or country or whatever it might be. But um, it means a lot. I mean, we're a pretty proud sporting nation, I have to say, and we should be. We're bloody good at Mm. sport. And um, it was almost like the last hurdle for us to cross I mean it was ticking down to just a couple things we hadn't done and then I think the year before Cadell Evans won the Tour de France and it was like hang on now now everything's there of course my entire career leading up to that point and every other Aussie got asked at the Masters early in the week who's (laughs) going to be you know is it going to be you this week who's going to be the first Australian to win and uh you know, for so to finally have someone go across there, you know, I think I remember it, it I, I, I didn't believe it was my destiny to do that. I mean, I really thought Norman, it, it, had, it had to be. And after that, even though we didn't have that many close calls, um, I couldn't believe it came down to me. I mean, Jason Day was playing incredibly well. He and I finished tied second a couple of years earlier. It looked like he was going to win for a little while in that mm. Masters in 2013 and Leishman was right in it too. So it was a bit of a lottery really. And, uh, you know, I think if nothing else comes of my career and I don't win other majors and these things, which I think I will, but... It is nice that there's that little extra bit of history to that win and that, you know, I'll always be sitting up there in the champions locker room and the champions dinner and hopefully there'll be other Aussies up there with me. How, uh, how often do people, time. when they see you come up and want to talk to you about it, pe- people off the street, how often do people want to come and say, I was watching you here, I was there, or mm-hmm. this is how it made me feel? What yeah, a wonderful thing it, to give it, people. Yeah, no, it, it's, in, it's really... Um, it's really satisfying for me when I hear those 
people tell me, well, so many people tell me they were there at the Masters. I'm like, how many, how many Aussies got over there that year? It's fantastic. But then, you know, a lot of people tell me where they were. They were in a hotel. They were at a Bamboogle golf course playing on a trip, all these things, and they were shouting out and all kinds of stuff, um, listening on the radio in their car. It's really, really fun that so many people got to enjoy that moment. It was, a, it was an incredible um experience for me it it is it's like nothing else i've ever experienced on the golf course um i can paint a good picture for for you later when we get into some of the shots then there's the triumvirate from australia all of whom would be a national hero with a win adam scott the little known mark leishman and a very determined jason day trying to bring their country a first green jacket so you arrive on the Sunday morning in the mix at Augusta, like, like what happens? Do you get a, like, I love the details, Scotty. Do you drive yourself? Is it a rental car? What what happens when you get to the course? Where do you go? Like what, what happens for those of it who will never get to live that life? Yeah. my So gen, generally I have my whole team stay with me during the major championship weeks. And we have our, the same chef who's uh, worked with us since about 2010. He's a good buddy of mine. And he comes in four weeks a year. He's a golfer, so he loves it too. But Steve, when Steve was caddying for me, Steve always drove. Okay. <laughs> he drove the he drove the tournament car. That was his role. You know, he's a race car driver. No one else is going to drive Steve's car. <laughs> so he drove the car. Uh, most of the time I was in the front and then my coach manager and my dad I, I think dad came to the course with us that morning as well uh, Augusta's tricky because it's not just like you can do whatever you want it's much harder to get in and out of than most other golf tournaments pretty tight there but if, you know I think I was two back starting the last round yes. so you know I was excited I was probably more excited about what could happen I don't know why, but if you've got the lead, you think you, sh you just expect yourself to win or you feel the pressure to win. But, like, leading by one is nothing in golf. You know, that's over mm. on the first hole, <laughs> basically. But And you waste so much energy with, like, the night before trying to calm your mind and, and get yourself to sleep and then worrying about it all morning, Sunday morning, until, like, a 2 o'clock tea time when you've got a one-shot lead and it... And you might tee off and the guy an hour before you has birdied the first four and you're not leading anyway, you know, yeah. and nothing you can do about that. So it's, it was quite a nice position. It was more of an excitement position going in on that uh, Sunday. So can you struggle to sleep sometimes nights before when you're expecting yourself to go and get it done? Sometimes, certainly earlier in my career, I, I would have said that. I... I wasn't too bad at that Open Championship. I mean, I had a four-shot lead, I think. Mm. And, but I do remember, you know, it was hard not to f have my head fast-forwarded to holding the claret chug. I mean, and I think in some ways you, you want to see that picture. You have to see that picture to believe it, but it can't consume you and, and turn into a negative thing. So um, I think I'm much better at controlling those things these days. I've kind of probably through experience. So when on Sunday, how far into the round does the thought start to come, hang on, hang on, and then what do you do with that thought? 
Now Adam Scott for birdie to get to within two. Oh, yes. So close so many times. Will this be the Sunday for Adam Scott? Yeah, so that was the big thing for me that day. I just played golf and it wasn't a conscious thought from the first hole. But there was definitely that entire week, there was a sense of calm amongst me and my team mm -hmm. and belief and confidence, but no one spoke about it. No one was, you know, Steve can be a great guy to give you a real rev up, you know, but he wasn't. And the focus was on, he's always focused, but the focus was on and it wasn't like, all right, Scotty, now you're going to just shove it to him. You know, none of that. It was, <laughs> it was just really calm, confident belief. And it was almost like, hey, if we just go out and play today, you play, you're playing better than everyone. There's a good chance you come out on top. And so I just played and, and nothing was really going my way. I was just really, really solid and I didn't really hold a putt after the third hole. But I didn't, I didn't think about winning until my second shot into the 17th hole. And going through his precise routine. Finds the right portion of the green, putting for a birdie is certainly possible. Stay there, ball. Adam Scott is ready to go. Taught the game by his father, but now really coached by his brother-in-law, Brad Malone, married to Adam's sister, Casey. Has put this driver in the bag before the tournament. Remember his tee shot at the 72nd hole with Lytham. This one stops short of the bunker. That's when I stood there and thought, okay, now it's, now it's really serious. Like, you must hit a good shot here and you must play the last hole well. So I saved myself a lot of, like, uh, anxious thought, I think, by just somehow getting most of the way around without thinking about winning. And is it a special... Before we get to the 18th hole, the 72nd hole, describe to me what it's like playing with Augusta. Like on the TV, the green looks greener than green and the water <laughs> looks clearer than clear and the crowd are more vibrant. What's it like when you're in the maelstrom of it, Scotty? Yeah, it's, it's a special atmosphere. It's as close as playing in a stadium to me as I think there is in golf. Okay. Even, even the way... You walk through the clubhouse to the course. The range and everything's on one side of the clubhouse and you finish and you walk across and then you walk out the other side of the clubhouse under this huge tree where the first tee is and then the whole course is just down in this bowl underneath and it, and it feels like a stadium because even down the bottom of the course at 16, you hear the crowd noise echo back up <laughs> uh, and... It's more like playing in, a, in that environment than anywhere else. But it's, a, it's the most nervous I get walking to a first tee anywhere. And I think the Ryder Cup guys say they get the most nervous on the Ryder Cup and I understand the intensity is crazy there. But for our individual competition, I think the anticipation 
for eight months from the last major to the Masters coming round is just so big and here's this opportunity. And, I mean, on the first tee, my hands are shaking. I'm so nervous. My first ever Masters, I I played the first round with Fuzzy Zeller and he was whistling on the first tee. And, I mean, I... I couldn't even get a ball on the tee. My hands were shaking so hard. And I remember him, as we walked off the tee, I blocked it into the right bunker and he put his arm around me whistling and stuff and just said, hey, how was that for you? (laughs) Something like that. And uh, he didn't calm me down much with his whistling. It is. It's it's really intense. It's a great environment. It's really fun. So let's go through this. I won't... We won't go through it shot by shot, but Scotty, you stand on the um, tee for the 72nd hole, and as you've said in 17, all of a sudden, right. So what happens then? Yeah, so I got through 17 with a good shot on and two putts, and 18, I was I was tied for the lead. So, you know, the big difference, and I was tied for the lead at the Open just a few months earlier, and a buddy of mine... Uh, who was watching the Open, said to me, you should have stood on that tee at the Open, tied for the lead, and said, if I make three, I win the Open. Even though I'd had three bogeys in a row at that point, he said, I wish you'd thought that. Because I didn't, you know, honestly. I was a bit like, oh, my God, really? What's happening here? Mm. And I stood on that 18th, and that kind of came to my mind. And it's like, hey... You're leading the Masters. You make three here. There's no, you can't, you know, you're going to win. And so then it was just like, it had all come down to just playing this one hole. Everything else was out and it was just about this. And I hit a, I hit a pretty nice drive. I mean, it was, it was raining a bit at this point and starting to cool down. It was getting a little bit later, but kind of the bunkers were actually out of play. So it was a fairly straightforward tee shot. And I think I hit it just in the left rough, short of the short of the bunkers. You get up on the green, and you've got the putt for birdie. Like we, we've talked about now, the British Open. We've talked about putting. We've talked about Greg Norman. Like, and you mentioned you and Stevie. Like, like he's an intense looking cat when you're watching that back. Yeah. So what do you talk about over that putt? Well. I, I ne- I, I'd asked Steve to read a part if I wasn't sure. And, but he always did his same routine anyway, so he was prepared. And I don't, I remember in 2011, just two years before, I had a very similar part on the last green that I needed to hold to have a chance of child like bogeying the last to tie. And I missed it just on the low side. And I remember not even being that specific, but I, and I was reading it and I said, oh, I must have just played it just outside. I'm going to play it a bit more. You know, it was just like it was, it was out there and a bit more and it was really like back to that feel thing, like the, the instinct and the feel and it was just like, that's it. I don't even know if I checked with Steve to confirm the read because we'd all seen that putt a lot and... You know, it was like you're going to will this thing in the hole. This is it. A putt on the 72nd at Lytham to tie Ernie. Now now I feel like this is the putt to win the Masters. This right here could be the biggest moment of his career. 
Adam Scott. Yes! Unreal! So it goes in. I think the commentary's along the lines of, yes, unreal. And then they start mentioning the fact they reckon you've said, come on, Aussie, when it's gone in. True right. story? Yeah, that's right. Jim, did I just lip read him? He screamed, come on, Aussies. I'm sure he did. I, uh, you know, I was playing with Leash that day and he was, he and I were, we were right in the mix all day and I think he hit it in the water on 15 and it made double... And I think that was kind of the end of his run. And interestingly, like when I identified I could win off on 17 there, I've Leash told me like he felt like he needed to talk to me walking to the 17th green <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> like, what? It's ballsy time to come and have a chat. But, you know, we, we, as the Aussies, like, we'd been badgered with the when's an Australian going to win this? And it was Jace was the group in front and Leash and I were playing together and we'd been talking about it uh, amongst us again that week because there were three guys starting the last round in the top five. And it was just, you know, it was just fresh in my mind right there and I felt like, you know, that's, that's what it was watching the cricket when I was a kid and that's just what happened. <laughs> So great call. So at that immediate moment, uh, Cabrera's, he's on the tee uh, as well, so he needs to birdie as well at that stage. Do you think you won the Masters or not? So obviously you can see my reaction. I was pretty pumped. Yes. I was throwing the high fives around to anyone who would accept one. Yes. <laughs> Leash got one. Yes. His caddy Maddie Kelly got one. <laughs> Steve got a few. And I got back up to the back of the green and, I mean, I am... I'm pumped, you know, the blood is just pumping through me. And Steve congratulated me on the putt again and, you know, reinforced the confidence in me, gave me two seconds to feel good about myself, I think, and then he said, right, Adam, this is not over. We are not done yet, huh. you know. And he was... Because he, he was so... Um, in tune with it all to give him a credit as a caddy like he was he was in the moment so much more than anyone I've ever seen uh, more than players even yeah he knew what could happen coming behind and he had so much experience in this situation too so that was a really good thing so I was kind of enjoying myself walking up to sign the card but I was prepared for what then happened with Cabrera so he stuck his approach really close, didn't he, Scotty? Really close, yeah. It was, it was basically a gimme. Oh, oh no, my goodness, what a goal shot. Just Good. outside of two feet away. Good heavens. So you're a sportsman and you're known for being big on your sportsmanship and you play the game the way it should be played and you have enormous respect for that. But what is it actually like when you've got one arm in the jacket <laughs> and old mate from Argentina plays a shot that that immediately as it lands, you know, well, I haven't won. Scott, we'll just watch it from the scoring room and if this drops, it'll be back to 18 for the playoff. 
Onward. Like, what is that actual moment? Like, how do you not get deflated when you know you've got to then go and lift yourself up again? I got to wonder emotionally how hard it's going to be for Adam Scott because that walk up the hill, yeah, there was a lot of celebration. There really was. Yeah, I think, I think um, everything had prepared me for all of, all of this. It, was, it wasn't just like, oh, he's stuck it in there. You know, now I've got to play a playoff. It yeah. was more like, right, let's go. Okay. It's now just two. It's now just the two of us. Someone's going to win this, and I'm in it. You know, there's a hundred blokes out of it now. It's just <laughs> the two of us. I'm ready, and I'd also like prepared so much that it was like, right, just keep throwing it at me. I'm going to outlast anybody here. It was where my coach and Steve and myself had taken this whole ship over that eight month period from the open. It was like, it was. Yeah, there was some in, there was an intense couple of years there that nothing was going to stop when we were when we were rolling and um, you know so again I felt like I was very prepared to go back out and play another hole for so, sure. So in that period, that fifteen minute period, um, it goes to ad breaks and they're talking about previous playoffs. What are you doing? Like, are you in the same room as Cabrera? Like, do you go on the buggy together? Do you do you wish each other luck? Like, what what happens in that stage? Yeah, so they took me out of the scoring area to a buggy that was ready to go and Cabrera had to do his thing. We left even before Cabrera had got to the buggy area, so we were heading back down. It's quite a long drive around. Even though the 18th is there, they kind of take you the scenic route and keep you away from everybody. And we meet on the tee and it's, you know, pleasantries. It's like, well done, good luck, let's go. And we, we had have had a good relationship, Cabrera and I. We played in Europe together when I was early in my career. He was playing there. We played on President's Cup teams together. So I think we had a strong, you know, level of respect for each other. And he, at times, been very encouraging to me as well. Like, a lot of that happens with the older golfers mm -hmm. to younger golfers out there who can offer some advice. I remember in uh, San Francisco President's Cup, he was... He was just telling me, you know, you just got to believe in yourself. You're a great player, you're a great player, because I was struggling that week and, you know, just trying to... He can't even speak English, but he managed to get a few <laughs> words out. <laughs> so you both bang it down the middle um, and then yours comes up a little bit short, your approach, doesn't it? Yeah, so... It comes back off the green. It did, yeah. So in that kind of 20 minutes since I was on the 18th to then... The temperature had really dropped a lot. To seven, the ice suddenly got wider. Oh my yeah, it was chunky. It was chunky. And you know, the kind of the clouds had got lower, and it was that heavier atmosphere. And the ball just didn't fly as far as it was. I thought I hit a pretty good shot, but it just was, you know, probably five yards short um, of getting up where I wanted it. And in the end, Angel did exactly the same thing. But as you're waiting yeah. for his shot, again, mate, take me back to your start to think, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, because if he sticks this close again, as he'd just done, you're outski. Yeah, I, di I didn't think that. I was now like, Ugh, I've got 
it's a fairly straightforward chip, but it's not my. F- it wasn't my favourite shot to have. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. now like trying to control myself. Like, you're now going to have to hit this chip under the most pressure ever, <laughs> and it's fairly straightforward. Like, you 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 can hold this, but at that moment, it wasn't the strongest shot in my game. I don't think, right. and I was just trying to gather myself because even if he sticks it, I've still got to hit the chip. You know, the only way is if he holds his shot. I'm not hitting the chip. Not wasting any time. Uh oh, does that mean right? He's fighting for it to get up there as well. (laughs) And he'll be away. Wow. So he 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 ended up in the same place as you and had to play play first. Did you ever like looking at again last night? And it's amazing because it's so close. Well, and it's the same yeah. shot, and he's gone high and you've gone low, which is fascinating golf in itself. But as it's rolling up there, yeah, like it looked for all money. Where were where were you? Did you think this is going in? Uh, yeah, so I was standing just near the bunker edge on the right, kind of pin high. And, you know, sometimes when you see a shot, even from side on like I was, it's got the look. Oh, you know, you can tell look, straight away. And it had the look. and. I, you know, three feet out, I actually thought, I can't believe he's chipped this in, you know, and that's how this is unfolding. <laughs> uh, but just ran over the edge. Uh-oh. What a shot. What a try. Wow. Gorgeous touch. Wow. And now Scott knows he has to get down in two. Cabrera nearly hold it. He hit a hell of a shot, and that a little bit put the pressure on me because he executed it beautifully and, you know, hit the chip you dream of hitting in that situation. And I'm there worried about, you know, now I need to uh, get this up. I was hoping, but I picked a club that I thought I picked a wedge. He must have played some kind of sand wedge, but... I picked a club that I was hoping would roll out and get rolling past the hole. You know, if I felt like if I picked a sandwich, I would leave it short. So I was trying to, you know, hope it would roll out and the hole would get in the way, kind of. But I still managed to leave it short. And now Adam Scott, if he were to chip it in, he would be the Masters champion. Goes with the lower route. Got to keep coming. And you had a putt that all hack golfers like me, if I play with my mates, it's a statement that you don't want to hear, oh, there's a bit of chicken on the bone there. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's that length that as a hack you, you can never make. Do you just stand over it and just bang it straight into the back of the cup and on we go? Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're the ones that in that situation, you've, if you prepare properly, that's, that is routine stuff and... You know, you have to have done the right preparation with the right discipline and and approach, and you know that at that at that moment, if you want it badly enough, you know, you're just gonna. That's all I was thinking about. There was nothing else. It was in the back of the cup. Right, let's go. Steps right up. Guts it. Back to Scotty in a moment. Last week on the show, we featured the superstar that is Lauren Jackson. LJ had a phenomenal sporting career, but battled with injury, pain and associated issues as her time on court was coming to an end. It was really, really difficult because 
With the injuries came a lot of prescription medication um, and it was just a really bad cycle that I was in. And um, Can you tell me about that? Well, yeah, I just, uh, because I was in so much pain, um, I was taking quite a lot of medication um, and then just to get through games, to get through trainings. Um, and I mean, I kept going until I couldn't go anymore, you know. Um, and then the knee injury actually kept me like off the court. So I was rehabbing and training and training and training. Um, I needed obviously something to help me get through the pain. And it it became a really vicious cycle, you know, and, and one that every day I sort of look back and I just think, think, wow, I'm just so lucky to get through it. And I'm so lucky I'm alive. That's Lauren Jackson on episode 99 of the show. Alrighty, back to Adam. So when we go back to 10, and you smack it down with a, I don't know, it looked like a three wood or something like that. Three wood. He says, I'd love to wear the jacket because Greg was so close. And that was a confident swing by Adam. See if he gets the sling off the hill here. He does. There he goes. And he plays this little sneaky iron that just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling Mm. at that point. Um, You both get it on the green. So... Now you're walking up to the green on the tent, Scotty. Where are you at now? I love this, by the way. What's this like to reflect back for you? Yeah, no, I, I'm very happy to talk about this one in detail. <laughs> Absolutely, Howie. Uh, look, the shot into 10 for me is the greatest shot I've ever hit in my life. <laughs> Just the, the situation and some of the complication in the shot. I mean, the 10th hole is a difficult hole. It's a difficult green complex especially because the angle of the fairway, my ball had sat on the kind of hill. It didn't get down into the flat on the bottom left side. So I had a hook lie with a back left pin, which sounds good, but it's so easy to miss the green left and then down it goes off. Good focus on that pine tree. That pine tree just to the right of the TV tower, what Steve Williams wants uh... Adam Scott to aim at, and if he can turn that subtle little draw in and match it and better it. So I had to hit like a fade type shot off the hook lie, and it was just about as good as you could draw up um, to hit it in there just about pin high 12 feet. 96. Little left to right. Still fine. It's a, it's a great shot. Oh, what is that? Inside oh. of Cabrera. We, we might have another putt out. I, I don't think I've hit it any closer ever on the 10th hole huh. there. So it was, a, it was a good yardage, obviously, but I just hit a great shot at a great time and it felt really good. And at that moment, though, the going down 10 to the off the tee, it started to feel like... Um, a real dogfight and the crowd was just so loud like it was raining people were cold it was cold even though we were in t-shirts and that but you know that they'd stuck around you know no one had left and the golf was good the good quality of golf and they were just really into it and it was so loud you couldn't really I couldn't talk to Steve just walking down the fairway you had to kind of yell at each other and it was that kind of 
left a real impression on me. Like, hang on, I'm not seeing golf like this, especially at the Masters, which is uh, you're very well behaved there. Yeah, normally, it was getting dark too. You're, you're right on the darkness. It's 7:58 sunset. Obviously, there's no sun around, so it's going to be less than that. It was dark. It was. It was probably the last hole we could play that day. We could have rushed to 18 again and teed off, but. If, yeah, you, you probably wouldn't want to be putting on 18. And that would have been dreadful to have to sleep. Imagine overnight. sleeping. Imagine no. sleeping yeah. on that Talk about, No, that would be a hard one to kind of sleep on. <laughs> to come out for one hole the next day and, and With the see. Masters riding on it. So yeah. uh, uh, he putts first. And again, like his chip, his putt looks all over it, Scotty. Yeah. He's a bulldog. I mean, he's won two majors already at this point. You know, he is a big-time player. The funny thing is I actually played with Cabrera that week on Thursday, Friday, the first two rounds. And he was playing okay, he was playing okay. And then Friday he played 9, 10, 11 and 12 quite nicely and got himself into a comfortable position for the tournament. And he hits this drive on 13, way over the trees. He bites it off and sends it high over. And it was like he just flipped the switch right there and he found something in his swing or his mind. And I could tell he was feeling it and he was ready for the week. And he is. He kind of, he plods along and then he shows up and wins the US Open. He showed up and win the Masters and here he is again. And I could, I could just see it on Friday that he was there. And then... You can tell, like, the way he played 18 and the first playoff hole and then, you know, he's up for the big stage. He's He is really gritty. His putt doesn't quite go in. See the beautiful putt. Oh, stays above the hole. So... All of a sudden, Adam Scott out of South Australia and Queensland has the opportunity to do something that no Australian has ever done. He'll nudge it in, and Adam Scott will now have a putt to win it. What are you talking about with Stevie? How on earth are you clearing your mind, Scotty, at this stage? Yeah, you, I instantly felt that, this, OK, now I have a putt to win a major and the Masters. It, you can't uh, trick yourself into not knowing that at that stage. And I really felt also going down 10, like the crowd was in my favour. They were, they were cheering for Cabrera as well, but they were really pushing me along. And, you know, I could see guys sitting there with Australian flag pants on <laughs> just behind the 10th green. And... And although it was fairly quiet still, you could tell everyone was saying, oh, Adam's got a chance to win. Uh, and that was the feeling. It was exciting for me, for sure. It's about 9.35 in the morning in Australia, from Sydney to Melbourne, to Perth to Brisbane, to the Gold Coast. The whole nation is watching and hoping this is the long-awaited moment. He won the Australian Masters just five months ago in November and won the gold coat. Now he has this putt for a green one. So I went about the routine. Steve went about his routine and we met behind the ball. 
And I'd always tell him what I thought first and then ask him if he sees something different. And I said, I see it a cut right to left. And he said, Scotty, it's two cuts right to left, which is a big difference. It's not like, it's not like, yeah, I see it just a little bit more than that. It's like twice as much. And he said, I see it two cups right to left. This putt breaks a lot. I said, have you seen this putt ever in your career here? And I was like, quick, flashback over 37 years or something for me, mate. You need to be sure. <laughs> uh, I didn't say it like that, but I was like, have you seen this putt before? And he said, Scotty, it breaks a lot. It is two cups right to left. And that's it. And I said, okay, it's two cups right to left. And I hit the putt and maybe with a little adrenaline and everything, I hit it a bit firmer than I normally would. But he was dead set right on. It was two cups because it went in the left side of the hole. Uh, There's an incredible moment to make a call like that. You know, that's the confidence he had in his abilities and the confidence he then in his delivery as well to me to go, okay, Steve, it's two cups. You know, I read it one cup. So it, it it was a huge call. And as it's tracking, how far out before it drops do you know this is in, I'm the champ? No, it was it was just on the left side too much to like. It was not one you were walking in, you know. It was, I was wheeling it in. I was like watching it going a little bit too far left, going hold your line, hold your line, hold your line, and and it did. It was it was still a good putt, but it wasn't it wasn't the confidence to just walk that thing in there and and celebrate it. It it had to hang on, and it did. Changer. Huh. Unbelievable magical moment. He is now officially the Wizard of Oz. And yeah, you can't imagine it. I can't even imagine how that feels still. It's, it's, in, it's incredible that that's where it all wrapped up down there on the 10th green and a lot of emotion down there. To hold two putts. The 72nd green and the 10th hole. Second playoff hole. Incredible. Congratulations, Adam Scott. And Ian, green and gold, Jim. From down under to on top of the world, Jim. So immediately they start whisking you off and on the coverage they start replaying, you know, Jack in the butler cabin and uh, Faldo in the butler cabin and and you're walking down there and, like, there's an official guide you and he says, okay, you need to go to the butler cabin. Now, like, it's so formal, <laughs> it Scotty. Like, yeah. how's, this, how's this transpiring for you? It's probably in, in that blur phase again. Remember at the Open I said oh, it was a bit of a blur? Yep. It was a bit of a blur. You know, kind of the usual stuff on the green with... Angel and his caddy, who was his son, who I know, and then uh, Steve, obviously, and then a quick chat with Angel as we walk off, and then as we get kind of off the back of the green toward where they're going to take us back to the butler cabin, my dad and my coach and my manager were there, and that was really nice. I mean, I remember hugging dad back there. It was a big moment for us. What does your dad and, say to uh, you? Like, what, do you? What does your dad say to his son after he's just won the Masters? 
I don't know that there were many words actually <laughs> shared at that at that moment. Um, it was they were I I think from memory they said they were like a hundred and fifty yards back up the fairway watching the pups. They they couldn't get down there somehow. Oh, yeah, because yeah, it's not really like they get. They're not really allowed inside the ropes, you know. There's no special kind of privileges going <laughs> on at Augusta, so they were they were a bit back watching it unfold. But then they were down the back there, so that's special. And you know, when Dad and I get to play Augusta now, you know, when we go off the back of the tenth green, it's a good good memory for us to have. But uh, you get whipped up there, and it's all very formal, you know. Um, the coolest thing was. Surprisingly, it was so late, they cancelled the presentation ceremony, the formal one where they put the chairs on the mm. green and everyone's sitting there and the previous last year's winner puts the jacket on the new winner. That didn't happen with me. It was so late, and uh, which was kind of nice because it, <laughs> it was really late and we could get on with some other stuff, first of all, after the butler cabin. But I got to go out there and... A lot of people waited and they just let me walk out on the green with the jacket and that's where that photo came with my arms out, which is my favourite pick of the whole thing. The Augusta photographer was allowed to be behind the photography line and he got that really cool pick from behind with the jacket. That was a that was a fun moment for me. Um, amidst all the formalities, there was like a bit of fun in that that. Uh, Bit because it is very structured and interviews and yes sir thank you mr <laughs> mr chairman bubba if you'd please do the honor thanks mate yeah <laughs> adam congratulations you, very proud of you thank sir. you very much it's an honor brother thank Congrats, you man. thank you very much do you do you have that do you have that photo up in your house uh, I don't actually have... I have the photo, yeah, but I don't actually yeah. have it up in the house. I've put it together a little bit of a... I've got a little bit of a golf room downstairs <laughs> that uh, eventually I'll get the hammer and nail out and the photos will go up. <laughs> <laughs> um, the jacket itself, and I only know a bit of this, and our audience won't because we had the discussion back at, at Coolum all those years ago, but, Scotty, frequent listeners to this show know that my kids, who are 10 and 8, often ask a question of the guest. Um, now, you get a question here from my daughter, Scotty, okay. who is name is Sky. She's 10, but she operates as the nickname like all good Australians. She's the pickle. Okay. So this is the question. Hopefully you can hear it, Scotty, for you from the pickle. Hi, Scotty. Pickle here. Dad was showing me highlights of you winning the Masters. Well done. It looked epic. He also showed me a photo of you wearing the green jacket. Hmm, not sure about the colour, but it looked really cool on you. Anyway, when you had it, did you ever wear it around your home and think, how good am I? <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, yeah, so the fun thing is you get to keep the jacket for a year after you win it, and then it always stays back in the locker room at the club. The jackets don't leave the club except for the champion who gets to carry it around. So I took it everywhere with me for 300, uh, 300 plus days. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just to have it lying around the house, 
a few times. A few times, I'd just leave it over the back of the sofa when we'd have friends coming over and stuff. <laughs> and they'd walk in and you know sit on the sofa, and I'm like, "Hang on, get just get off that jacket." <laughs> they couldn't. They couldn't believe it's the jacket. But it was, it was a lot of fun touring around with the jacket. It is. You know, from a fashion sense, I agree with uh, your daughter. It's not, <laughs> it's not the greatest green, but it sure does feel good wearing that jacket. So did you ever just like sit at home and whack the jacket on and have a beer just because yeah, you could? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because <laughs> you could, absolutely. No, for sure. We, I took pretty good care of it. I was very respectful to it. I think, you know, a button uh, might have come off and we got it stitched back on. Um, you know, everyone, it was fun. Everyone was so excited to see the jacket. I tried a little bit at the end of the year when I was playing the tournaments in Oz to wear it around as much as I could or bring it around so people could get to see it. But, um, yeah, it'd be fun to win it again. Yes, yes. It bring, it, bring it back down to Oz. It, it's funny, when you talked about it, I, I have very few photos uh, um, of my working career, but I do have one of that night we're talking about the PGA when I leant over and I think I asked you, can I touch it? And you're like, yeah, 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 touch it. And there's a photo <laughs> of me going, but I remember seeing you wearing it uh, and having it there that night and it's just this mystique about it, isn't it, yeah. Scotty? Like everybody wants to see what that jacket is. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It's incredible what uh, that tournament's been able to do with a green jacket. But even when, when I go back and play the tournament and you get back to your locker, and I'm lucky I share a locker with Gary Player there now. Wow. And, you know, the two jackets are in the locker for us for the week. But I put it on every day. <laughs> After the round, I put it on and I sit up there with the other champions and have one drink. And, you know, it's like you've got to soak, soak in that experience. And um, I'm up there with my good mate Trevor Immelman, who won the Masters in 08, and we sit next to each other at the champions dinner and you know that those things i look forward to every year very much hey it's a great description of what went on and thank you so much because it's a really historical no it's just yeah. such a historical moment before we wind up um I've got three more questions for you one from my son you get my son as well okay um, he's a bit looser cuz he's a bit younger as well <laughs> you started the season in great style. You obviously, obviously had a win before um, we got put on hold as a planet. Uh, I think you're number six in the world at the moment. So, what's next? Is 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 the is the potential as big as it was now? As as a bloke that's probably what you're nearly forty, as it was when you were twenty five. Can you can you still continue to improve, Scotty? Yeah, I think so. Everything, everything that I'm seeing, certainly uh, from the start of this year, shows me that. Um, winning at Riviera was big for me. It had been three and a bit years uh, since I'd won on the PGA Tour. But uh, coming off a win at the Aussie PGA and then a bit of a break, coming back out, playing with the world number one Sunday in the final group at Riviera and uh, get, getting the better of him, you know, showed me that everything's right where it needs to be. We've just got to keep doing this. A couple of weeks later, we're on pause. But I think I think uh, the plan that I'd put in place going into last year and this year is I'd like to say I've got my five best years ahead of me is what I, what I truly believe. I think I can accomplish all I want in the next five years and, and have a better five years than the last 10 years. Uh, of course, I need to stay healthy and there's a big priority on, on that. 
because I know I'm getting close to 40, but there's no, you know, there's no indication of anything kind of slowing down in that sense. So um, you touched on my putting. I feel like I've taken that into a strength of my game. And, you know, if I can keep myself in a good headspace to going on to the golf course, I think that is going to be my biggest key for the next five years. If you continue to win majors... Every time you win one, can we come and do another episode and just talk through it shot by shot? Yeah, like let's have, do it. With this one. Yeah, until, hey, you're, until you're dead bored of hearing my shot by shot. I'll, I'll, let's, I'll do get bored. let's do it. How much do you physically have to train to keep yourself going? Because it's funny, looking back at that 2013, um, I say this with admiration as a skinny man, you had muscles on your muscles at that stage, Scotty. Like you absolutely ripped. How much work goes into having a golf body? Yeah, a bit does. I mean, the golf swing is not ideal for the body, obviously. Uh, and you've got to balance that kind of strength and the move and and complement the movement you're doing so you don't get injured. You know what I do now as a near as a 39 year old is different than when I was a 32 year old. That's for sure. Um, but it does take you know a couple of hours every day of doing the right kind of things for your body um, to keep. Well, certainly now I've got to stay supple enough. <laughs> you know, you just. You just don't move as good as I did when I was 25. But I'm moving pretty good for a 39-year-old, you know, and I'm still kind of keeping up with some of these young guys. I mean, I'm not into the big hitting comps anymore, but I can still be effective. So I think, I do believe I've got five really good years, and that gives me like 20 majors to kind of rack up a few more, and it can happen quick. Brooks Kepka just did it. And hearing a guy like... uh, or seeing a guy like Brooks rack him up just gives me belief again that I that I could do that. You know, a good two year run can really accomplish a lot. We're gonna to have to do a lot of podcasts then, aren't we? Yeah, we'll be busy, mate. <laughs> right, keep you busy. Now, you're my eight year old who operates as the big penguin. I don't even want to go into that with you. Why? So you got the pickle and so, the penguin. Here you go. Hey, Scotty, big penguin here. I love looking for golf balls. At last count, we got over 500 golf balls. I was thinking of selling some so I could get a new surfboard. But I don't know how much I should sell them for. Should How much should the white ones be? And how much should the coloured ones be? This is where you come in, Scotty. How much should the white ones be? And how much should the coloured ones be? Tough question. Tough question. Now, condition is key for him. <laughs> You know, so clean them up good. Make sure you clean those balls up good. But now, he wants a new surfboard. He's got 500 balls. He's going to have to go for about a dollar, dollar fifty a ball, and he'll get an unbelievable board. So maybe the coloured coloured balls should be a buck fifty if they're nice and clean, and the white ones a dollar. I will pass that on. Thank you. Final question for you. We are lucky to have a lot of kids listen to this show. For those kids that want to achieve something in life, Adam, whether it be on the golf course, playing footy, being a scientist, playing the piano, but want to do their best. And as a father, this you know the weight of this question, it could take you three hours to answer. But if you had to give them one piece of advice as to how they should go about achieving success, what would it be? Well, don't let anything stand in the way of your dreams. That's for sure. Nothing, nothing has to. If there's a will, there's a way to do it. 
But as a youngster, the best thing you can do is ask some questions from everybody and you'll figure out what you think is right and what you think is wrong. And I think if I could change something about myself as a young kid, I would have liked to have the front to ask some more questions as a kid and maybe get the right answers, maybe get the wrong answers, but you can learn either way. And I think if you're learning, you're getting closer to where you want to be. That's a great answer. Hey, mate, thank you so much for indulging me. I've taken up a lot of your time. This is actually will come out as episode 100 of the show. Okay. Um, And for me, uh, Kathy Freeman, John Aloisi, and you winning the Masters have been the three seminal moments in my life watching sport. And Kathy and John have been on. So to have you on for episode 100 and talk me through the difficult times and then what it's like to win for the first time the Masters has been a real thrill for me, mate. I really, Thank- really appreciate it. Thanks, Howie. Thank you very much. It means means a lot to me that uh, I'm even in that category. So um, it's been fun. You've raised the bat 100 shows. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. And let's hope we're doing a few more with some more major stories. You will get the email. The next time you win, it'll be there on a Monday morning. Perfect. Thank you so much, Scotty. I really, really appreciate it. You got it. Wow, wow, wow. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I did recording it and that for reasons that are now obvious to you that Adam comes on the show again sometime really, really soon. Thanks to the team at Uniqlo for making this episode happen. And now to some thank yous to people who have believed in the show and helped it grow in so many different ways along the journey. To the entire team at Podcast One, Kim Norman and her wonderful hardworking sales team, to Kate Patterson and the social media crew, to Lucy Rolls and the publicity gang, and to Brooke Carrigan for pushing for me whenever I ask, and for always Brooke being excited by the metrics. To the boss, Grant Tothill Totters, a man who always says yes, no matter what I'm proposing along the way, the world needs more with his can-do attitude. And, of course, to the big man in charge, thanks to Grant Blackley for his general faith in podcasting as a medium overall. The show, as you guys are aware, has had two producers. Firstly, Michael James. MJ was on board right from the start and got the whole thing up and running from a technical standpoint where neither of us had any idea what we were doing. The man is a star, and although he's moved on to bigger and better things, still helps out with the podcast every week. And then along came Darcy Thompson. Darcy, you'll be running a company at some stage, as he is a can-do man. No matter how big or small the request or problem, Darcy sorts it in a minimum of time with a minimum of fuss. Totters, I reckon the kid deserves a pay rise. To the pickle and the big penguin, who now want a payment for every question asked. True story. Genuinely, they do. You make me laugh every single day, and I've loved having you on the podcast. And finally, the biggest thanks of all goes to my beautiful, hot, clever, funny wife, Erica. I'm a lucky boy. She is always enthusiastic about the show, is always honest with her feedback, and motivates me to push on when I need the push. Thanks, babe. Thanks for listening to this point. Until next week, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.